0: How's everybody doing this morning? Got a couple people awake. Everybody else, wake up! Everybody, good this morning. It's good, to, it's good to see you. Welcome to Connection Church, Pooler. My name is Michael Page. Um, I am the campus pastor here. Um, and if it's your first time here this morning, uh, I just want to welcome you. I, wanna, I just want to extend a special welcome to you. Um, and we would love for you to stop by our first-time guest table or our next steps table to kind of see where we might be able to um, be able to serve you best. Um, and, If if you're looking for a place to worship or a place to get plugged in, we would love to have you here. If you're looking for a church home, um, we would love to have you here. Um, If you're um, just visiting, welcome. I hope you come back again soon next time you're in the area. Uh, But listen, uh, I've done this a couple of times, but I really think it's important. I really think it's cool. Uh, I just want you to stand up. I know you just got done sitting down. And I just want you to find a couple people around you that you don't know and say, welcome this morning. Worship as a family. I think it's, it's important that we love each other and know each other and uh, spend time together, to, getting to know each other. But listen, I'm excited to be here this morning. And I hope you are too. Because anytime I feel like that, that uh, the followers of Jesus, or people who are searching after Christ, or people who have been turned on to the to what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus, there should be ex- some excitement there, and it should be almost a, a celebration where um, that, that, that feels with this filled with awe and wonder, kind of in our hearts, to be able to uh, to, to have this sense of expectancy that God's going to move. In this place, um, right? And that's how it should be at church. Like, it should be exciting. It should be awesome that we're here together worshiping a risen King, right? That's, that's what it's about. And, you know, you know, because real church, if you want to get biblical with it, real church starts Monday and goes to Saturday. Sundays when we come together and we celebrate what God's done through, through our times in small group, through our times at work, through the times that we're spending in the community reaching people. And that's, what, that's, what this, that's the way it's supposed to look. And we have a lot to celebrate, man, because God, he, he sent Jesus, and Jesus has conquered sin and death. It's done is what the Bible says. And if we've surrendered our lives to him, which I hope we have, the Bible says we're hidden in him and his righteousness, which is good news. Because the gospel means literally good news, Right. And so, if that's what it, if that, that's where we're at this morning, we have a we have a reason to celebrate. We get to stand before the throne room of God with boldness, is what the Scripture says. We get to be partakers in the gospel as children of God, heirs with Christ, and that's pretty cool. And so, this morning, I just want to ask you, like, point blank, for you to start thinking about this because, like, it's important. So, where are you at this morning? Where are you at with that? Like. Where are you at with Jesus? What made you come to church this morning? Why are you here? Um, Is it a husband or wife that drug you here? Is it a mom or dad? Are are you searching for something? What is the purpose of you being here? Is it something you're just checking off the list? This is what I do on Sundays. But I say it every week, and I will continue to say There's more, there's more, there's more, there's more to what God wants to do in you and through you. What hinders him is us. And so we need to let go of whatever we're holding on to this morning allow him to do his completed work inside of us. I don't care where you've come from, the things you've done, who you've done it with, what's what you've been involved in. He wants to show you he loves you this morning. He wants to show you he loves you every time you open the pages of this book. And he wants to show you that he can use you and wants to reach you. And we we're, and we're, and, and, and are and we following, are we worshiping a God that, that's safe? It doesn't require anything from us, or and that, which is fault, a false God, by the way. Or are we worshiping the God of all creation who sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins and wants to put us on a path of use in his kingdom, who set the stars in motion, who put the planets in orbit? Because that's the God that I serve. That's the God that I want us to be focused on this morning. Are we stuck in a cycle of religion? That was me. I went to church, in an old Baptist church from the time I was eight weeks old or eight days old or however old I was. I don't remember. But like you, you have this intimate or, or do you have this intimate relationship with Jesus where he's growing you and stretching you and changing you and changing your heart? Because 2 Corinthians tells us anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so have you, have you seen that, that, that evidence in your life of a new creation in Christ? So where are you at? Where are you at with that? Because we're going to talk about this today. We're going to talk about um, something. We're in, we're in a new series that's called Counterfeit, as you can see on the screen. I uh, literally couldn't spell that if I wanted to, but um, uh, it's called Counterfeit. Basically, basically, it's calling out the church or people who claim that I follow Jesus, as we, t- and, but we also try to replace Jesus with a list of rules or things to follow. Um, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I did this, I did this. Replacing something real with something fake. I mean, counterfeit, I don't want to ask you about if you're involved in counterfeit money or anything like that, but like, listen, there's like... It's something you're you're, change, you're exchanging something that's real for something that's fake, you're basically telling God that I can do it, I can get to you on my own. I don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus to get to God. That's what it's saying. And we've created this counterfeit gospel, and it's it's really no gospel at all. It depends on it, it depends on us instead of Jesus, and that's what's scary. Because one thing y'all see in Scripture, you know, I see this mentality of of you know Jesus is the only way. That's what it says in Scripture. And in churches, I see what's, what once was clear from the pages of Scripture has become more of a, I do this, I get this mentality. Or, and we call that religion, and Jesus hated it. Like, Jesus came to destroy religion. In Scripture, we see Jesus consistently confronting the religious people, don't we? And throughout all the Gospels, you can see Jesus going against the, the religious people of his day, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the lawyers of the day. He, what, do we, what would he say to them? He said, woe to you, you brood of vipers. What if God, who you thought you were a servant, came to you one day and say, woe to you, you brood of vipers. That would be terrifying, terrible. He also says stuff like, woe to you hypocrites. Jesus' anger, it wasn't directed at the prostitutes or the prodigals or the people who were lame and, and dying, and, but, it, but it, was, it was directed at the highly religious people who were the scribes, the lawyers, and the Pharisees. Like I said, who ironically, the Pharisees' entire purpose in their, their entire purpose in life was to identify the Messiah when he came. The lawyers, their whole entire purpose in life was to faithfully carry out and teach the law of Moses that's found in this book, which is ironic. And the scribes were to to interpret the text. And so each of these groups missed it. They, They started to believe that they could gain favor in the eyes of the Lord by their deeds, the things they were doing. I went to church, I went to Bible study, I, I discipled a guy, I went help, I fed the homeless, I did all the stuff, Or look at all the things that I'm doing. But Jesus said, you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside you look pretty, but on the inside you're dying. There's decay, there's death. And so I see the church so often take a relationship with Jesus that was meant to be based on love and grace and giving that love and grace away and turn it into a list of things to do and to come meet on a, on a, once a week and have a holy huddle and then go home. And I've seen that happen so often. And this is where we're going to start this week with this counterfeit series. Um, and, you know, if you want to go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2, you can, because we're going to be in Revelation. I don't mean to scare you, it's, but it's not really talking about end times in chapter 2 yet. But we're going to look at the church of Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2. If you know anything about Revelation, it's, uh, it's literally the only book of the Bible, to my knowledge, that comes with a blessing. You can look at Revelation chapter 1. You ain't got to turn there. I'll be on the screen. Revelation chapter 1, it says, Blessed is of one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take heart what is written in it, because the time is near. And so my heart this morning, as we read this scripture together, is that we would listen to what this, what this says in Revelation 2, and that we would take it to heart and we would put it into practice. Because what does it say? The time is near. What that means is there's no time to waste. There's no time to waste on anything, empty living. It's time to, to step it up. And the word revelation, it literally means the unveiling. What, what this book is unveiling is the is is supernatural things that our earthly eyes can't necessarily see, as well as the things that are to come before Christ comes back the second time. And so I want to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into some, um, to the Scripture. We're going we're gonna to go at it here. So, Lord, I love you. God, I pray for every heart in this room. God, I pray for the hearts that are far from you. I pray that you would just draw them near God, I pray that the, the walls that may be up or the chains that may be around, God, that you would just loosen them or that you would destroy them, God, that, so that we may be able to have ears to hear and eyes to see. God, I pray, for, I pray for the person who may have been in church their entire life but have never seen the glory and the goodness of who you are, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would just move our hearts this morning to change. Move our hearts this morning, Father, to be the vessels that you use to reach our communities, God, that we would be no longer satisfied with the empty religion, Father, but we would seek Passionately, God, the relationship with you that brings so much life, Father, and energy and motivation in our life. So I pray, God, that you would just be in the words of the sermon, be in the words of the scripture that we're going to read. And God, just just come and change our hearts this morning. We love you, and it's your name I pray. Amen. All right, I have a question. Like I like to ask every week, not the same question, but the question I like to start with the question. So, how many people in here would say that you were a good student in school? All right, five, six. You, know, you made good grades. Uh, the teachers loved you, all that stuff. So we have eight or ten. So now that we know who the nerds are, um, let's let's move on. I'm just kidding. That means everybody else fell into my category. Like, like the person who was never on task, the slacker, the daydreamer, the person who was um, napping, the, te- the person who was always daydreaming about what, what I was going to do at recess, what slide I was going to go down, all those kind of different things. And so I was always off in la-la land somewhere. And so, you know, I think about it this way, like this past week, um, I'm, I had a chance to be at my mom's retirement dinner um, in uh, in Statesboro. My mom's retiring this week after, uh, I think, 30-something years of teaching maybe. Um, but I, we ran into my old third-grade teacher, and my first thought was, how is this lady still alive? Because she looked exactly the same as whenever I had her as my teacher before. And I was like, oh, like she's it's, it's incredible. And so, you know, I, that was my first that was my first thought, but then my second thought went to my traumatized little mind whenever I was in, like, third grade, and I wasn't on task. She would come into my desk, and you couldn't do this today, or you'd get fired and, and thrown in jail, but she would grab my chin and look me in her face, and she'd say, you pay attention. You're not on task. Do what you need. And so I'm like, yes, ma'am. And so the moment I saw her, I was like, I was kind of like, let me step back. And I just got scared because, like, overwhelmed. So this got me thinking about the church. I know it's weird, but just go with me for a second. You know, think about it for a second. How, how would you define a healthy church? Like, just in your own mind, how would you define a healthy church? Healthy church, what comes to mind? Large attendance, um, a large offering, uh, maybe an awesome worship band like we have here, or like a great small group ministry. Uh, is it a uh, community outreach? We have a lot of outreach. Is that what it is? You know, what this question showed me this week is that we've been doing church and thinking about the church and our culture in a completely wrong way because my mind went straight to attendance, offering, outreach, small groups, Worship, And that has nothing to do with what Jesus came to do other than the outreach part. Think about this. What we've been thinking about what it means to follow Jesus in our personal lives might be skewed unless it's, unless it's worked around Scripture. We've taken God's grace and God's spirit for granted. You got, if we don't start defining the success of the church and our relationship with Jesus, on the criteria that God set in his word, then we run the risk of coming and sitting here our whole lives and missing the whole point of what we're doing. Can we agree with that? Like, if we don't get what it means to have a successful relationship with Jesus and have a successful church, we run the risk of missing the point. And we're wasting our time here. And so this should scare us. Like, It scared me when I was thinking through this and reading through this. This should shake us, and more so it should move us. Like we need to get on task when it comes to our faith. Can we all kind of agree with that as a, as a culture, as of the American church? We need to get on task with our faith. Following Jesus was never meant to be a passive thing where I sit back and hoping everything kind of falls into place. And I'm hoping that, that God does his will through somebody else. Now we were called to be the living and breathing representations of Jesus Christ to a world in need of a savior. That's what the gospel says. As long as we lay aside hoping God will send someone else, we'll continue to see churches closed, people to get burned out, lives wasted, time wasted, and we're we'll starting to see just empty shells of buildings where people are coming we'll have holy shrines to God but not living our lives in a way that honors him. The call in our lives as followers of Christ, it's an incredible thing, man. It has, it's full of promises. All throughout scripture, the promises that we have through Christ are numerous you can't it's hard to count them and it's so important that we go through scripture and see who we are in Christ and this is exactly where the church in Ephesus was we're about to read about the church in Ephesus if you look in Ephesians 1 it, it, Paul is writing a, is, is there writing a letter to him 40 years earlier than the time we're about to read in Revelation and they, these guys were. it says that I pray and I thank God for the way that you love people and for the faith in God that you have so that's what he said in Ephesians 1. He's like, I praise God for that. You're an example to all the other churches in the world, is what he was saying to these people. And if, if if Paul wrote me that, I'd be like, thanks. I'd, I'd probably get arrogant and prideful because I, that means that's huge. But something had changed in and, and, and the church of Ephesus. Let's, and we're going to look at this. This is in Revelations 2. If you're there, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. We're going to read it together and we're going to kind of talk through it. It says this It says the angel of the church in Ephesus write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Let me stop there. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, some some translations has a messenger. Some people think this is a pastor in this in the church of Ephesus. Some people think I I tend to believe this is this is a pastor of this church. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars. The seven stars were the seven churches of that time that were that were like the, the the lighthouses of that time, the area. The seven golden lampstands, they represents the church. You remember in Matthew or the, some of the other gospels it says, do we, do we put a light on a lampstand and, and, and cover it with a bowl? Remember that story? This is what it's talking about that. Is the golden lampstands, the lampstands are a representation of the church. Like it gives light for the area is what it, basically what it's looking like, the, the golden lampstands. And this is what Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus right here. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. That you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have, pers- you have persevered, that's a hard word to say, and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So far, this is awesome, right? This is great. Like, you've, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. Great, 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 great. And like, all of these things, if I told you this as far as a church goes, you would say that church is pretty good. That's a pretty good church. It's calling out false teachers, they're working hard, they're persevering through trials, they're getting things done. But look what Jesus says. Yet I hold this against you. Like, what? Like You have forsaken, or you left, forsaken means to leave or betray, the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Basically saying, I'm going to come remove your influence, move your church from its place, and put somebody in place that's going to do what i ask asked them to do. But you, you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Basically, a, a group of people who taught that Jesus was only the Christ during a certain part, of his, certain part of his life. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So what happened? Like These guys had it these guys knew what they were they they knew jesus they saw who he was they were going after it they were reaching their city loving the people around them and then time went by they started replacing that love and faithfulness with things to do they didn't they didn't they didn't pass it on to the next generation this was about you know this was 40 years past the time whenever paul wrote the letter to the ephesians so this was a second generation of christians they hadn't passed it on they haven't they hadn't um, done discipleship effectively. They haven't evangelized effectively. They haven't passed it on to the next generation of believers. Their devotion, this, hear this, and this could be us, their devotion had been replaced by duty, right? We see that a lot, right? Devotion replaced by duty. Their love turned into labor. Their, their, their worship turned to work, and their joy Turned into this grinding of religious practices that just wore them out and wore them down and made them ineffective. Religion and a set of rules had replaced God's plan of salvation. Come and do this, come and do this, come and do this, and you'll get saved. One of my favorite quotes, and I have no idea who it's by. It says unknown literally in the book I have. My favorite quotes is this. It says, when there is a religious spirit operating in a church or someone's life, false reverence replaces loving Jesus. Knowing about God, about... God substitutes for knowing God. Works are confused for intimacy with Jesus instead of results of loving Jesus. Religious activity is confused with commitment to Christ. Holiness is substituted with rule keeping, and Christian service substituted for friendship with Jesus. So listen, a religious heart says I have to do, while a heart that's right with Jesus says I get to. I get to do. At Connection. We talk all the time in our staff meetings about how we get to have. We we can have two two greeters at the door. You guys saw greeters in blue shirts, right? They're in their place, right? Okay, make sure. All right, you have two greeters at the door. That one may go away. Blessed man, man, Hallelujah, man. God's, God God bless me so much today. The other person may go away. God, I'm glad that's over. I'm tired. Of going we go to lunch, this time. I'm just getting burned out. I can't serve it. I'm just tired. I can't do it. And so it gets to the point where, like, we have one person walks away blessed, one person walks away burdened. Why? Think about that. Why? They're both doing the same exact thing on the outside, but on the inside, they have two different hearts. the blessed The blessed one says, "The blessed one says, I get to do this because God loves me." And the burdened one says, "I have to do this because God lo- to get God to love me." To make sure I am, I am, I'm doing my duty for Jesus. I'm trying my best to get it done. For those of, for those of you who are married, in here, think about the first time you met your wife or your husband. Because listen, we're we're just as we're just as off as the Ephesians sometimes, right? Like we we we, we substitute works for the gospel all the time. But you, you think about, I mean, I'm just trying to give a good example. I started thinking through like two or three little examples. Think about whenever you first got married. Oh man, beautiful. He's so hot. She's so beautiful. I mean, it's just so, man, thinking about the first time you went on a date with him, you were like making sure your hair was right, you had a cologne on, sniff, sniff test, all make sure everything was right. You're good, right? And so now the things you might have thought were cute at first, like, have now made you want to murder your spouse, right? Like, I don't, that's not cute anymore. Do not hit your teeth with that spoon one more time. You know, all this stuff, the, the, the cute laugh, she might, she might giggle, oh, she's so cute, oh, man. I mean, the cute laugh now makes you want to punch him in the face. You know, it's like, shh, please stop, like, stop, you know. And listen, there's more, like, think about the kids, like kids, kids come along, this is awesome. Think about the first time you saw your son or your daughter love at first sight. I will never love anything more than I love this right here. And, you know, and think about it. maybe the long hours or like the diapers or the 10 years, made you wonder why you didn't just take all that money and travel the world instead, right? Maybe not, I don't know. But it's okay, you don't have to feel guilty. It's okay, this is church, we're safe here. But for those... For those of you who have entered a workforce, maybe you've got my dream job. Man, my job, this is what I've always wanted. This is what I'm going to school for. I paid $100,000 for school. I'm, I'm doing what I love. This is what God's called me to. Thank God I'm here. And then all of a sudden, you're working 7 or 8 hours a week. You have some crazy coworkers. The monotony of the job has kind of bored you, and now you're questioning your dreams, right? We've all been there. These type, these type of situations, right? Like, what is happening? Maybe you're tired and just fed up, and you're on autopilot, and it's kind of like, I'm done. But if you claim to be a follower of Jesus this morning, think about this. The first time you met Christ, if you're a true follower of Jesus and he has affected your life to the point where he's changed your heart, think about the first time you met him. You turned your life over to him. Wow, man, what a day. I've never felt this kind of feeling in my life. He, there's so much weight just been lifted I can't even explain to you how I feel right now because there's no words to describe it this is I can't get it when we first got saved like we were so grateful thank you Jesus you know you know you've, you came after me you saved me you, I, you you've turned my eyes to you thank you Jesus so grateful. It felt good to be forgiven. It felt good to be free from sin. It felt good to to have something to live for. It felt good to have an orientation in life where Jesus was on the throne and all we have to worry about was worshiping him and adoring him, depend on him. It felt good not to have to live up to the standards of people that try to to put on us because we had had been brought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ and he is our standard to live by. But something happened. Something happens sometimes. Something happens along the way and we become complacent. We begin to, to treat the blood of Jesus, which was shed for us, as though it was just a common thing. Like, right, we talk about the blood of Jesus and salvation and justification and discipleship and, and all this stuff so flippantly. It's like, it's just it's what it is. The message of the gospel started not to mean so much anymore. It started to lose its meaning. started to lose its flavor. If you're around something long enough, guys, listen. It becomes pretty easy to take it for granted, doesn't it? It becomes very easy to take things for granted when you're around things long enough. If you see it all the time, unless that thing, hear this, unless that thing or person has changed your heart. And only Jesus can do that. When we become too familiar with something for long enough, we miss the power of it. we become too familiar with, with, with a husband or a wife or a child, we miss, we forget our mind becomes numb. I forget how beautiful my wife is sometimes. Or I forget how much she meant to me in my day. And I have, to, I have to remember. I have to go back to that place and say, man, like, listen. And I, I'll be completely honest with you. And she'll, she'll put these two and two together when I tell you this. Yesterday, I was writing this down and thinking through this. And I walked downstairs because I had just remembered, man, I just, I, I forget sometimes. I went downstairs and hugged her. Like, I just, I, it's important that we remember those moments why we love and why God loves us and what he's done in our life. Some of us are searching for freedom from stuff this morning. That's why you're here. Let's be honest. like You're here because you want Jesus, right? If, you, if, you, if, you're not here, if you're here and you don't want Jesus, then you might have missed a return or something because this is what we're about here. We're about, about, about connecting people with Jesus. Like you're here because maybe you're struggling with shame and, and slavery to sin, but all, all the while we're tripping all over Jesus because we've stopped being amazed by what God's done for us through Jesus. We stop being amazed by that. And you know, it needs to amaze us. It needs to bring about us life and vitality. And it needs to pump us up. Because so I, I, want, I want to ask you a, a point blank question this morning directly to your face, just me and you. And I want to ask you this morning do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Like, one on one, do you love Jesus? Can you say that in your heart? I love Jesus. Like, not the idea of Jesus, man, that's such a romantic idea. He came to earth and died for me, hallelujah. Like, I'm not that kind of, not that kind, not that, not, not the idea of Jesus or, or, the, or the things that Jesus wants to do for you, just Jesus. If Jesus never answered another one of your prayers like you wanted him to, would you love Jesus? Just him, just Jesus. Or like the Ephesians, have we forsaken or left our first love? And this morning I'm to show you four quick things, really quick. Based on scripture of what it looks like for a person to love God, for somebody who to love God. And the first thing I want you to look at is this, and you need to ask yourselves, every person in here, including me, as you're reading this, say, is this me? Is this me? Is this, does this describe me? And, um, and there's not going to be a test, so don't worry about it, just, just between you and God, okay? The first one is, a person who loves God will want to be with God. A person who loves God will want to be with God. Someone who loves the Lord desires his presence. Like, I, I just want to be in your presence. I got to read this to, to the point where I just, I want more of you, God. I want to be in your presence. When, when you're in love with someone, you look for every possible excuse to be with that person. Every possible, like, someone who just starts dating, you're like, are they always together? Like, they you know, listen, they always want to be together because they love one another. They love being together, spending time together. In the same way, people who love God want to walk with God through their day and be with him. That's just a characteristic all throughout scripture. You can look in Psalm 63 where David says this. He says, you, God, are my God, earnestly. Other translation says early. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there's no water, on my bed I remember you. I think, meditate on you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you Your right hand upholds me. Does that sound like us? Earnestly, I seek, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. I cling to you. Your heart, your right hand upholds me. Is that that our prayer to God? Or are we somewhere down the line somewhere? And that's okay where we're at, but it's it's important that we're honest where we're at so that we can change that. The second thing, a person who loves God will love the things God loves, right? If you love God, you're going to love the things he loves. If you love God, you're going to love the things he loves. So my question this morning is, what does God love? What does God love? Do you know? Like, do you know what God loves? We know what God loves by what he's declared in his word. Read the word, do what it says. So simple, we make it complicated. What God loves is written in the pages of the scripture. The center focus of his love right now is you. He sent his son to die for you. But on top of that, he loves holiness. He loves righteousness. He loves when you love others. He loves people. A person who loves God will love the things God loves. Psalms 119, 97, look at this. It says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. If you love God, then you're going to love the Bible. You will. You will love the Bible. The Word of God, you want to hear the Word. You want to read the Word and think about the Word of God. You'll love lost people. You want the lost to hear the gospel because God loves the lost people. That's why he came and sent Jesus. And just by rule of opposites, guys, if you're, if you're, just by rules of opposites, if you love what God loves, you'll hate what God hates. If you love what God loves, you'll hate what God hates. And what it, what it says in Romans 12, it, it instructs us, it says, abhor what is evil. Abhor is like another word for hate. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Cling to it. Hold on tightly to it. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. If you love God, you'll love the things God loves and you'll hate the things God hates. Number three, a person who loves God will long desire, want for Jesus' return. They'll look for it. Someone who loves Jesus will seek for his return. Shortly before Paul died, let's look at what he says to his disciple Timothy. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, Now therefore is, is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give will award me on that day. And not only for me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Does this ever cross your mind? Does this ever cross your mind? Does, Christ, does Christ's second coming ever cross your mind? Does it ever come in your mind where you're like, Man, I need to be thinking about this? Or, or you, are you the type of person who prays, God, I love you. I can't wait to see you. Just wait until I have kids, until I get married, until I have grandkids. I've prayed that prayer before. You know, but where are we at in that? Am I seeking God? I love him more than I love earthly things. You know, that's what kind of reality that he's asking for. Someone who loves God longs for his return, longs for the return of Christ. Number four, a person who loves God will keep his commands. Woo person of God, a person who loves God will keep his commands. Let's look what Jesus says in John 14. We love to change this verse around. We love to kind of justify it in this way. But he says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. In other words, you can't. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's impossible to love God and then go out and consistently break his commands. Consistently break his commands, but I'm a sinner. Blah, blah blah. I'm a. That doesn't matter. You are a sinner. But listen, you have power over yourself. You don't just flippantly go out and just go seek sin. Listen, you You do not love God if you go out and consistently break his law and choose other things over him. And how can we say like? How can we, listen? How can we say this? How can we say, Lord, I love you so much, and then sit down to look at pornography? How can we tell, I love you, Jesus, and turn away? And hate a brother or sister, kind of like the, 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 the judge did in the Gospels. Can we say, Jesus, you're my Lord, but turn away and go and divorce my husband or wife with no biblical reason? Can we do that? Can we love Jesus and break his commands? Yes, but you won't if you love God the way Jesus meant for us to love God. This is and listen, If we consistently break the commandments of God, then we're proving that, that we don't have love for God in our hearts if we consistently walk down that way. And this is not my opinion, so don't get upset with Michael. This is not my opinion. This is straight from the word of God. Like, so don't, so do, do we desire to be with God? Do we love what God loves? Do we long for his coming? And do we, do his, do we, do we keep his commands? Those four questions. Do we do those four things? Now, I want to look at something real quick. Let's, I want to look at something really quick, and I want to show you what it looks like, some fruit, of having lost your first love, like we looked at in Revelation here, some fruit. Um, I just did some studying through Scripture, and um, it's basically some evidences that you may have left your first love. Um, There's like 10 of them. The first one is, you can go hours or days without having more than a passing thought about Jesus. You don't have a strong desire to spend time with him and his word. You don't have a strong hunger for the word. Bible reading is a chore Something to mark off your list to do. Spending time in prayer is a burden or a duty rather than a delight. Private prayer and worship are almost non existent. It's cold and dry when it does happen. Your heart towards Christ is cold and indifferent, not tender as it once was, not easily moved by the word, talk of spiritual things, etc. Your service for Christ and others is motivated by a sense of duty or obligation. You find yourself becoming resentful over the hardships and demands of serving Christ and others. You can talk with others about kids, marriage, weather, and the news, but struggle to talk about the Lord in spiritual matters. You justify small areas of disobedience or, or compromise. You're slow to respond to conviction over sin, or you, ignore it, or you ignore it altogether, hoping it would go away. You're self-righteous, more concerned about sin in other people's lives than your own. And so my question today this morning is, like, do you hear, like, it's, it's tough. Like, maybe you recognize yourself in some of these scenarios that I described. I know I certainly could relate to some of them. And maybe you're realizing that you don't love Jesus much as you once did when you first came to know him. Maybe you realize that you don't love Jesus quite as much as you act like you do. Because one thing I've always said is that if we're not making disciples, if we're not telling people about Jesus, there's really only two options that I can find in my head to justify that is you don't believe what you say you believe or you don't care about people at all. And I know this is a hard talk, but this is Scripture. And this is something that I will never shy away from because I said all the time, I care way more about your eternity and your hearts more than I care about my popularity. You know, I do. And I care about you guys so much. And, and listen, so my question this morning is what do we do? If you find yourself in that place of, Stagnant. said, what do i do what do we do jesus gives us a, a, a he gives us an equation right here in revelation chapter 2 it says this consider how far you've fallen repent and do the things you did at first if you do not repent i will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place guys we've been meeting for 17 weeks isn't that, isn't that cool that's not very long 17 weeks is crazy. God is moving in our church. Look around you. We started this thing 17 weeks ago, and God's already blessing us in so many ways. He is building a foundation of truth in our hearts. He's building a foundation of truth in people's hearts in this room. There are going to be movers and shakers for our community, for our county. If we would just hand him the keys of our hearts and say, yes, yes, Lord, use me. I'll do whatever it takes, Lord here I am. Use me. I surrender and actually mean that. Guys, don't take this for granted. Don't take what you're seeing around you. Don't take this, all this. Don't take your surroundings for granted, what God's doing in your life. Don't take it for granted. Dig in, invest, put some skin in the game. Start. Take a first step, and then take another step, and then another. If you're not in a connect group, join one. If you're not serving, start serving. Help people experience the love of God that comes through these doors. If you're not giving to see the local church empowered to reach the lost, then start. I don't care if you give to this church or that church or any church. I just want you to be obedient to what God's called you to do because he told us he would bless us and and work through us to see the kingdom spread throughout the world. And I want to be a part of that, don't y'all? I want to see God's kingdom come and I want to be used to see it come. It's time to stop saying We don't trust people in churches and start saying you trust God. He's sovereign over every man. He wants our hearts. What I've learned is what's consistently taken for granted, what's consistently taken for granted will eventually be taken away. And my heart is that we wouldn't take for granted what God's trying to do in our church. We wouldn't take for granted what God's trying to do in our hearts because he promises in that scripture he will come and remove the lampstand from its place. Because one thing I know, God gives us opportunities to see his kingdom spread glorified. But he will use somebody else if we don't step up into that place. I think it's a a privilege to be able to do what we get to do each week. So what do we do? Jesus tells us in that that chapter right there in in Revelation chapter 2. Can you put it back on the screen, please, for me? Revelation 2, 5. It says, first word is Consider. Consider. It means to remember. Think. Think back. There's three R's I want to leave with you of what you can do. What Jesus tells us to do is remember, repent, repeat. Remember, repent, and repeat. There's three things. Remember. Consider. Take some time to evaluate and think back on your life. Can you remember a time in your life when you were closer to God than you are today? Right now. Remember that time. Was it a year ago? Was it 10 years ago? Was it six months ago? Was it three hours ago? When was it? Think back to that time. Call that time of your your life to mind and remember what it was like. Remember that. What was I doing in that time? Second thing is repent. To repent means to change your mind, to change something, to turn away from. The best definition is to agree with God. God, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I come to you and I, I give myself to you. I'm, I'm wrong. Lord, I, my pride is out the door. Please use me. I just want you, Father. I just want you. I just want you to use me. The, the best definition is agree with God. Change your mind. Change your pattern. Change your attitude. Change your schedule. Change your whatever it needs to be happening. You have the power and the control over your life. You're not controlled by external situations. You have power. You have control. God's giving you dominion is what it says in Scripture. Get back to those things that brought you into God's presence. That cultivated a love for him. That, that, that was alive and vibrant and had energy and motivation. You were encouraging other people. When we become consumed with love, guys, then there's no room for burnout, no cynicism, no boredom. Yet when we're consumed, not consumed with love, when we have a heart of religion, we become focused on self, obsessed with doing instead of being, just being who God's called us to be. The answer to burnout and serving God is not stopping but getting a clearer view of who Jesus is getting a clearer view of who Jesus is in our lives, what he's done, letting his love motivate us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, the love of Christ compels us. And that means it pushes us forward. The love of Christ, what he has for us dying and raising, pushes us forward. And the last thing, remember, repent, repeat. Jesus says, do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. Maybe, m- remember when Paul 40 years, or Paul 40 years earlier had, had written to the Ephesians about you're doing great, you love people, you have faith in God. Jesus was saying, look back, do those things you were doing then. Just go back. There's no huge crazy uh, equation. Go do the things you did at first. Maybe time of the Lord got pushed aside because of a new relationship. Maybe time of the Lord was shut down because of sin in your life or maybe someone in the church might have hurt you so you left the church for a while. Jesus said, do the things you once did to find those sacred pathways back to him, back to me. We can never substitute the dues of our faith with devotion to the Father, to the Lord, to our Lord. Our devotion to Jesus should be the motivation and the drive that pushes us forward. And so remember, repent, and repeat. Guys, like the Ephesians, you may be doing all these great things and doing them in in the name of Jesus. But unless Jesus is your first love and his love for you is what drives you, you will lose heart and you'll fall away. It's, it's scripture, it's scripture. So where are you at this morning? Where are you at? I want to ask you a point, but where are you at this morning in this? I believe many of us are in the same boat as the Ephesians. Maybe you're stuck in bitterness or anger at what's been done, what done to you or, or somebody's done you wrong. Maybe you've lost love for Jesus along the way because of a sin habit. Maybe you have sin in your life that you need to kick out. Where God's love was, now there's shame and condemnation because of that. I'm so far away, God will never accept me. I'm so far away, people will look at me funny if I changed my life, if I confessed this or did this. I, couldn't, I could not I never come back the way I was. This is what scares me the most, guys. Please, if you hadn't listened to anything I said, please hear this call for, for, for what I'm about to say to you. This is what scares me the most as a pastor. There may be somebody here this morning. It might be one person. It might be nobody, but it might be five people who's been playing church for years. And if you were to ask people around you if you were saved, they would say, absolutely. But when you get real with yourself and with God, you're not so sure. You know what I'm saying? You see where I'm at with that? No fruits of the Spirit are evident. No motivation in your walk with Christ. And it it might seem a little stagnant. It might be a better description of you personally if you think about your own self. In Christ, we've been set free from pretending We've been set free from the performance trap. I have to do things to get this. Please hear me. Please, the religious rule keeping as a means of justification cannot and will not save you. Religious rule keeping as a means of justification will lead us to pride, exhaustion, and hopelessness. Being a Christian isn't about sin management. It's about our relationship with Jesus. And if that's you this morning, I'm about to ask you a question. I want you to be able to answer it honestly. For the other people in here, maybe you, maybe you've never fallen in love with Jesus because you've never allowed yourself to personally experience the gospel the way God intended. You have never allowed yourself to because you, I, I'm just I got too much stuff. I need to get right. I need to change this. I need to do this first. I've got to do this first. I have to check out this list. And you never allowed yourself to personally experience it like Jesus in your place. He came and gave himself for your sins, his righteousness for your sin, his peace for your restlessness, his grace for your failures. He took your cross so you could be called a child of God. What a great God. Acts 4:12 is this. This is truth: Salvation is found in no one else. But there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. See his goodness. See his love come surrender today. Come get it right. Don't wait another week. So I have a couple of questions for two different types of people this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never entered into a surrendered, submitted, all-out relationship with Jesus where you said, enough of me, more of you, God. I'm, I'm turning my life over to you right now. Whatever you say, it's yes and amen. I'm going after it. I'm going after it. I'm not turning back because you've given me the motivation that I need in the cross. If that's you this morning, we're going to ask you this in a second. I just, I just want you to be bold because Jesus was bold and going to the cross for our sins in front of all people. Maybe you've, never, maybe you've never experienced that before or maybe you've been playing church for a long time and you have all the outside, outside things of a Pharisee, but on the inside you may be dying and there may be death. And you know it and God knows it, but you're scared of the people might say something about it. Don't worry about that. Let's honor God this morning. Let's, if, if you fall into one of those categories, if you've never experienced Christ, if you want to turn your life over to him, if you've never um, got out of that religious game playing and you never entered into a submitted, committed relationship with Jesus, I want to ask you, if that's what you want to do, we want to pray with you. We want to take that next step with you and get on that path with you. If that's, if that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand so we can pray with you? If you've never done any of those two things. All right? There's something in your life this morning that's in between you and Jesus, and Jesus is not your first love right now, and you realize that. I want to give you an opportunity to come lay this stuff down this morning. We want to give you time to pray. Um, don't walk out of here the same way you came. If um, if that's you this morning, I just want, whenever I'm, when I'm going to pray in a second, whenever I start praying, just come forward and just pray. Just uh, we'll, we'll just just leave it here at this altar, and we'll sweep it up and throw it away later. But... um. Let me just pray for us. You guys just come. Father God, we love you. I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for being a God that loves us, being a God that, that, that died for us. God, that, that you've, you've called us to something better. God, I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with the religious things in our heart. We wouldn't be satisfied with the religious things that the world tries to throw at us, and the, the, the checklist. God, that we would be seeking a love relationship with you, Father. I pray that um, just every person in this room would just have you first in their life as a as their first love, that, that, that drives them to, to see the kingdom come, Father, to see the gospel preached in all nations. Father, we love you. We just want to honor you. We just want to lift you. I pray, God, that you would just um, fill these seeds with hearts that are hungry after you, Father. God, give us more of your presence. God, give us more of your love. Help us to see you more clearly, God. God, strengthen our view of who you are, God, and who we are in you. Lord, we love you. We just ask all this in Jesus' name.